Right, welcome back to the podcast, Steve Sully Study. I've got to say, I'm trying to wrap my brain. In the last four and a half years, I don't think I've had anyone quite as unique as the conversation that we're about to have with, with my next podcast guest. So Leah Shakiva. I want to say Shakiva Shakiva for some reason when yeah. I see that name. Anyway, welcome on board the podcast. I'm wicked. I'm really looking forward to this one. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Oh, I'm so flattered. Thanks for having me. No worries. What do you think about the gallery first oh, and foremost? It's absolutely gorgeous. I studied architecture, so I absolutely adore buildings, like to a very nerdy degree. And I just absolutely, I, I love London for it. And Birmingham too, but love London. Yeah. So look, um, there's a couple of titles that you got, right? Okay. Entrepreneur, YouTuber, and <laughs> yeah. then speed eater. Yes. What is a speed eater? So this is interesting because I started out as a competitive eater and that really didn't have much of a position or much gravity, especially in the UK. Nobody really knew what that meant. I didn't really know what that meant. And it quickly turned into professional speed eater. And I just thought, I like that. We're going to run with it because I am a speedy eater. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, but that only came about when I started doing world records. So I have broken 27 Guinness World Record titles and I've been featured in the Guinness World Record book three, three years consecutively. So it's something I'm really proud of, but that with it came professional speed eater. But I am in all a competitive eater, quite well-rounded, I would say. So out of the 27 Guinness World Records that you have absolutely <laughs> smashed, which one has been your favorite? So I have been asked this question a few times and every time I just go back to the same one and that is the fastest time to eat a Terry's chocolate orange. And the reason why is because I remember when I was approached by a TV company in 2018, I was still working full time and I was just doing the food challenges on the side, like casually, very casually. I was still incredibly shy and I had no, I had no business being on TV. I did not want to do it at all. So when this TV company called me and said, hey, we saw your unofficial attempt of the Terry's Chocolate Orange on your YouTube channel and we'd love for you to do it for real on our TV show. And I was like, yeah, no, not for me. And they were like, would you not want an official world record title? And I was like, no, I just, I just didn't see it. I was a designer, had like a, a really, an adult job, I had a career and I felt like I don't need to be eating chocolate on TV for a world record. And this is how, it's, this is how you can get caught up in the things that you're doing a bit too much and not being open-minded. Um, Long story short, they offered me money and I said, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> and then um, I went and I broke the world record officially on TV. And the reason why it's my favorite record is because the euphoria you feel when you do something like that is inexplicable to the point that I remember just feeling completely overwhelmed. Like I, I was like a verge of tears. And I think that for me was the greatest feeling. I feel like I've been chasing that feeling ever since. And really, I don't think that I've reached it since. Not again. So it's a little bit like, I would say this respectfully, like a drug addict having their first hit and you're chasing that hit time and time again, probably knowing that you're actually never going to feel that feeling again. Absolutely. Um, I'm actually quite surprised you said the Terry took orange, actually, because doing my research, the two things that you find the most difficult to get down your gob very, very quickly, is yeah. chocolate and actually bread. What, yeah. why? Uh, mm, okay, so chocolate is an interesting one because everybody thinks they can eat it really quickly. But if it gets too warm in your mouth, as in if you spend it, if it spends too much time in your mouth, it gets warm, it gets claggy and it gets stuck. And world records, you have to have a clear mouth. So it's about being efficient and being quick. If it's cold, it's sharp. And so you can't just swallow it whole. And so people are like, surely you just swallow it. No, you can't just swallow it. Believe me, I know. So yeah, it's chocolate's incredibly difficult to eat fast. But yeah, it's my favorite because not only do I love chocolate, but it's a, an impressive record. I ate an entire Terry's chocolate orange in 57 seconds. I think the most recent record is. And that's the timer starts with it in its box. So imagine that. So it's even, even the technique of 
ripping that thing open just and imagine. then getting it to you, there is there is precious time there that oh, you yeah. need to you need to master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do have to be very controlled in in yourself and not panic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk about stereotypes for a little bit because you must get this all the time. Yeah. Now, when I think of someone who is a world record holder for for food. Yes. I'm going to be totally honest. This is me being 37 years of age, acting my age, being a bit naive and being a bloke. Okay. I think about a massive geezer. Yeah. Probably with a big belly. Yeah. Who's been eating all his life and kind of big and overweight. Yeah. I've got a lady in front of me that is in great nick. Yeah. Thank you. Good looking bird. Very, very confident. How the hell were you not size of a house? Okay. I think that I have been trying to understand myself um why people have this misconception of competitive eaters and i guess the way that we see competitive eating is you're eating copious amounts of foods every day competitive eating though is a sport and you do need to be there needs to be an inherent ability there so that's your ability to eat a lot of food or eat fast or eat really spicy food or or drink a lot of liquids now (laughs) the reason i'm not overweight is because my life was in fitness before it was in food um i've been bodybuilding for 12 years i've been competitive eating for three full time um when i say i'm full-time competitive eating i'm probably doing one challenge a week and that challenge probably it varies in calories it varies in type and it allows me to have time off in between where i'm fasting i'm at the gym i'm working out i'm eating clean or i'm you know just living a very active normal life um and i just try and balance out at the end of every week and because i've i have a foundation and a history in fitness my body can handle a lot. Like I can have Christmas day and the next day feel okay. People eat up to 10,000 calories on Christmas day, typically on average. And for me, that is way bigger than a big food challenge. That's way more calories. So I think provided that you, you work at a certain rate and I have been at that level for so many years, I can do a food challenge, I feel a bit crap for a couple of days, but I just get back on it, back on the gym, back into fasting, back into drinking. I drink a ton of water, stay hydrated. And I just try and let my body kind of reset. And that's how I kind of manage myself. Um, But I think we do have this misconception that like competitive eaters are like massive blokes. And then I turn up and impress people. Well, I guess that factors in towards your, your niece and your USP, right? Yes. You know, and I yeah. think that's that's quite an important thing, especially if you're going to be making money or business online, you've got to have something slightly different to the norm or to the stereotype. Yeah, I definitely think that I've been forging a kind of a new mold for myself um, because I don't feel, I've never felt like I've fitted into anything or anywhere really and so I forever kind of forged my own way and like broken the conceptions about me because you know I I think that since day one I've kind of battled judgments and so it's not something that affects me necessarily yeah I knew I was always going to get along with you and I tell you why <laughs> I'll tell you what this is God's only truth so when I voice noted you and we was chatting and then over a few weeks or months, we were trying to work out when we could do the podcast. I was yeah. occasionally going into your stories and just, just, just seeing what's going on, basically. Yeah. And there was you batting off some of the comments <laughs> that you that you received from some, some of the trolls, haters and, and your audience. Yeah. And I really like that about, I like people quite sarcastic. I like people that have got confidence. I like people that... <laughs> use a negative, spin it and throw it back at somebody and, yeah. and, and you're all over those things. Look, going back to stereotypes, Yeah, I, I would just want to ask sort of this, this segment of the conversation, like people must, because you're a female, because yeah. of the things that you swallow, yeah. must send over inappropriate sexual innuendos to you all the time. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, Okay. does that happen regularly and what sort of imp- inappropriate things do they ask you okay so my my dms specifically on instagram are a tricky place to be i have to be incredibly careful because 
I do have a large audience across platforms. All of my platforms offer something slightly different. And Instagram is probably the most inappropriate place. Um, but there, there are, so I do go through my DMs and I, I do try and get back to as many people as I can. And in that kind of journey, I do discover things and see things I wish I didn't see and could unsee. Um, I, I get a lot of inappropriate messages. I expect to, to get them. I feel like they are incredibly misguided, but then I also don't blame the sender because they don't know me at all. And so I think there's a certain level of acceptance you have to have. You receive these messages. I manage them really well. I, I, I can't take offense to something that isn't true. And I can't take offense to something that's definitely not meant for me. So, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Yeah, they they can be incredibly like <laughs> just harrowing. Do you ever get like pictures like DMs? Oh yeah, you? like of actually. Like, I'll I'll say that what what you probably won't say, but like people, fellas, nuts. Basically, are they yeah. sending them their 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 manhood to you? I get because all... you're swallowing a banana, for example. Right, I get all sorts, all sorts. But then I have to understand as well, in the same breath, that I have set myself up for this because I know what sells and unfortunately puts you in a certain light, even though I don't want it to be the way that it's perceived. Perception is an incredibly diverse thing. And whereas I put out a video, I know to a level how much I'm pushing boundaries and I'm pushing the envelope to get that traction, that engagement, to be seen and be like noticed. But then I know that also opens up like a floodgate for people assuming that you are away, that you may not be. Um, but then again, I go straight back. They don't know me at all. And unless they heard a podcast like this, no, like, okay, so she's not the type of woman that would appreciate a message or a video, videos, or a picture like this. Um, but I, I half think that these men or these... I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say, I know not all men, but it is largely and, and almost exclusively men that are inappropriate towards me. I don't get hate from women ever, 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 because I'm so unthreatening to a woman. I think for, for men, they just feel like they need to, in some way, violate me. I don't know whether that's because of like my position or how they see me. I just feel like some men feel the need to put I don't know how to put it, but it's um it's a really interesting psychologically. It's really interesting because it's a way to kind of violate someone to put them below you, um, and I think this is where like the flashers in the olden days they're like the modern flashers. It's a yeah. way to sort of expose yourself to get off, but you also you are. Um, making someone else experience you. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it's yeah. like, um, it's, a, it's a, a way of violation to gain control power over a situation. And it's very interesting, but would rather not, would rather it not happen to me, to be honest. I mean, is it, is it, cause I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, I would love to spend a day in your DMs and actually read it. Cause I'm just like fast, like- You'd be horrified. Even, even like, <laughs> I mean, look, I don't have a massive, massive audience is getting there, but I go occasionally, my, 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 my favorite is the TikTok comments. Okay. People on TikTok yeah. are fucking hilarious. Yeah. I think they're some of the most funniest people in the world. They're yeah. sarcastic, they're yeah. witty, and I go through them sometimes, and I just, I'm laying on my sofa and I'm just cracking up. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just finding it so funny. But then to spend a day in your DMs, I mean, what could you share like even one that springs to mind you thought, oh my God, that has gone beyond the limits? Oh, I could, if, honestly, I've set up an entire separate Instagram called uh, the Shutkeever Inbox just because I get so many just bizarre fantasy type um, requests. Not just the feet thing. I mean, I'm flattered, but feet. yeah, I get the foot fetishists, but I think that a lot of women do. I think that feet are a very easy way. And actually from a psychological point of view, I know why people have- What they're saying, can I have a 
picture of your feet. Yeah, like, or they've seen my feet and they'll tell me that I have nice feet. Or I think that I'm on, um, there's a, a website called WikiFeet. Right. Where they find pictures of certain, like, influencers' feet and they'll just post about it. And it's it's a whole other, like, subgenre of, of things that I only discovered. Um, but I think one of the most bizarre fantasies that I learned about was something called vorophilia. I think I'm pronouncing it right, but they call it vor, V-O-R-E. And it's essentially a fantasy of being swallowed whole by a giant woman, like an Amazonian woman. And because I'm quite like a, a big, strong woman, they kind of see me as this like big figure. And they ask me for like, to play fantasy like <laughs> so the requests the dms are like um i like if i was a tiny man like would you swallow me whole and they want me to play along with this like fantasy thing it's the most mind-blowing thing but i'm a competitive eater so i understand how it makes sense but it's weird i'm sorry guys it's and, weird. And have, have you ever gone back to them and said <laughs> Yeah, like just go. I don't go. respond. No, you don't, <laughs> I don't respond. respond. No. No, no. So anything weird like that, from feet to flashing their their bits to getting swallowed. Just a... even like the proposals and like they all just get ignored because I I, I don't know what to say. I do you say thank you? Uh, thank you, but no. <laughs> I, it, I, it's just very strange. I'm a stranger on the internet, so you know. Yeah, it's crazy. And last bit on this kind of segment, okay? Because I'm just just curious. Okay. There must be the adult industry yeah. that will approach someone like you. Because again, great Nick, you know, you're a good looking girl, but you you are swallowing stuff. And they must think, okay, if we can convince this person yeah. to go down this route. They can't convince me. They will make a shit they ton of money. They will never we'll make a shit me. ton of money. There's and... not enough money in the world. There is not enough money in the world. I, honestly, Do we ever get approached like by them? I get approached. I get offers from individuals and companies and certain platforms to ask me to set up certain profiles that I'm not prepared to do. Basically, Paul? Uh, yeah, basically compromising my better values. I've got way more to give the world than that. And yeah. I, if anything, it's just a massive bonus. And yeah. one day somebody's gonna be like lucky enough to marry it, but no, it's and, not. And you're saying you're saying certain platforms, um, I mean, people are only fans. It yeah. seems, seems to be rife at the moment with a lot of people, yeah. which again, I'm not gonna judge because if I was a sexy, young, beautiful woman, would I do it? Probably. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> I don't. I just don't think that. I just don't. I've think, got no other skill though. Yeah, but I think it's easy for it's easy for, and again, not all men, but it's easy for men to look at. I get I get two very conflicting things from my male audience. One half will say, "If I was you, I would just get the bag." But what those men don't understand within their privilege is that as a woman, the minute that you do something and your name is tied with something, you are you are tarnished. Mm. And if you want to live a somewhat normal life and have a healthy relationship and um, potentially get married in the future or, or marry someone with that's high value and has influence, you can't be tied to certain things. So you do have to be incredibly careful who you associate with, what you do, what you post, where you go, what you do. Like, I'm, I'm not dumb. Like, I know that that's how it works. The other half of men will say, you've got more to offer. You could just, you can just do more. The money's not worth it. And I'm with them. I'm with them. I feel like, Maybe there's a lot of compromising that you would do if you're privileged. In fact, two ends of the spectrum. If you're privileged enough not to care about what anybody else thinks or does and you want to just live your life, make tons of money and disappear, do what you need to do to get your money. If you've got loads of stuff to offer, do the stuff that you've got to offer. Make equally or probably more money, have more opportunities, do better. Um, that's kind of where I'm at yeah. with it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So... Um, the way you, so I'm, I was intrigued as well. The, the like, it's a little bit. You know, like when you perform, like eating. I know. Uh, uh, I've just written down like hot dog or ice lolly or banana or something like that. Yeah. 
just pushing an envelope that's what you said yeah. like you're staring into the camera yeah. and you've got this wonder woman kind of look about you yeah. and you're quite intimidating as well Good. on the camera yeah and you're just like you don't break the the stare yeah and it's just like in and you uh, like how, how did you come up with that technique like why did you start <laughs> doing that because I get it now because yeah. if you were to speak and talk and have this bubbly kind of characteristics and stuff, yeah. it wouldn't be pushing the limitation. So how did that evolve into posting your techniques the way you do? Okay, so I I feel like everything has boiled down to this thing that I do on Instagram and TikTok. Um, but this all came about by chance. So I learned that I can swallow things whole through attempting world records. I was on the set of a TV show for Channel 4 and I was attempting the world record for the fastest time to eat three pickled eggs. And I learned through failing or like disqualified my first attempt that I was like, I need to go faster. I can only bite these egg once and swallow it. And I went to bite the egg it kind of ricocheted off my teeth and just went straight down my throat. And I thought, oh my God, I have an actual talent. This is awesome. I can swallow eggs whole. And then on Instagram this one day, I was like, I'm going to just swallow an egg on my, I think it was on my story. It was something like, like dumb. It was ages ago. And I remember posting it and the traction was insane. And it was the views on that. I got more views than the official world record attempt where I set the world record for the fastest time to eat three pickled eggs is now 7.8 seconds. So I ate three eggs in 7.8 seconds, but I did one on camera on Instagram and it got more views. And I thought there's something behind this. And I did naturally nothing about it for a long time. And I thought, I'm going to do another one of those videos. And the formula for it became very simple. The reason why I'm so intensely staring into the camera is because I'm staring at myself because I'm watching the motion of everything happening. And it's not anything more than I'm focused. I'm trying to be as seamless as possible so that people don't try and say that it's fake or edited or whatever. And you're right, if I start talking and people see that I have a brain or a personality, they're not gonna buy into whatever it is I'm selling. They want me to be this like brain dead eater chick that just is dark and like this, uh, this sorceress. Like I just, I see, I see the comments and people just buy into that like intense eye contact, that very dark, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Because you do dress as Wonder Woman in some of the other posts yeah, I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, you know what got me? It's like the no emotion. The no yeah. emotion. And it reminds me, I box, right? Yeah. And I've had 16 boxing fights last year, competed, etc. And what it reminded me of a little bit yeah. is actually boxers when they're going head to head. It's almost like you don't break that stare. You don't show any emotion. You don't yeah. laugh. You don't get excited. You, you know, you just look at someone. Yeah. And it reminds me of that a little bit. That's what I think of. When I look at you, I think you're like a boxer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one way to get someone's attention is to just hold eye contact. Yeah. And I feel like within, it was never my, my goal was never to do that. My goal was to just put out content. The Wonder Woman stuff, it came about because I, when I do something, I like to do it well. And I found this incredible costume and it's so, it's so real. And I thought if I could do this, I could cosplay Wonder Woman, that'd be cool. And then I had this cosplay, I put it on, it looked awesome. And I was like, this is, I feel good in this. I feel powerful in this. I thought, I wonder if I did one of these videos in this costume because Wonder Woman, she like, she does everything. And I just thought it's so relevant. It's so, it fits. And that video has gone viral so many times, the Wonder Woman hot dog video. And I just, you know, the, someone, somebody stitched it with a clip from the movie that was Issue With You and everybody commenting, she's with me. And like, it just, like you said, people on TikTok commenting are so funny. And after that video went viral for like the fourth or fifth time, I thought this is, there's something here. And so I thought maybe I can just do it 
lots of different types of the same type of video because that's mm. what social media is it's like a, a recreation you're not reinventing the wheel you're kind of just recreating it um but yeah nothing will ever top that wonder woman video when you say viral video yeah give me some statistics what's the biggest what's the most watched video that you've ever produced <laughs> I'll give you an idea. I, I honestly, I can't tell you exactly, but what I can say is a girl reacted to my videos um, on a YouTube. Um, I posted that it was a montage. I posted a montage to Facebook. It did like 45 million views in like a few days. It went so crazy crazy when i'm talking viral i'm talking crazy viral and it is just me swallowing stuff so i'm like why would i think harder than that why do i need to do anything more than that people are like oh do do something else I'm like, but why do i need to do that the numbers speak for themselves there are millions and billions of people in this world and for some reason they like to see me do this it's weird but it works mm. um so the, the the ones I see regularly, hot dogs, yes. ice lollies, bananas. Yes. Yes. Um, even though it's going to sound like a bit of a crude question, what is the largest thing you've ever swallowed? Um, I think it probably is one of those big Dino's famous hot dogs. They're really long, like they're really long. But I think I think that would be it. Have you ever nearly choked and died? No, never. This is something that has come up quite a lot because I think that a lot of people, and I would never know this if it wasn't for this job. I think there's a lot of people that have choked in their life and have choking fears. Now I know one in three people don't have a gag reflex, but then of those one in three people could have a choking fear or trauma. I don't have either. So it puts me at a different level. So I have no choking fears, which allows me the ability to do what I do uh, without the fear of choking. And I've there's never been a moment in doing anything that I've done, even in competitive eating and doing food challenges, that I've ever thought, this is dangerous, I'm going to die. Never, never once. It's never, it's just, maybe it's naivety, but I just don't feel like it's something that I need to concern myself with. Would you ever go vegan? No, <laughs> are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> I love food. I'm a foodie. All right, fair. What's your favourite food? I, or cuisine or type of food. I'll let you choose. Cuisine, I love Middle Eastern, Mediterranean food, but then I am not opposed to like a really good Argentinian steakhouse. I can be, I can be pretty much won over with a really good ribeye, like a really, really good 12 ounce ribeye. And I'm like, ah, oh, love it. I see you've worked with Eddie Hall. So who can eat more, Me. you or Eddie Me. Hall? You said that even before I finished. <laughs> yeah. Really, can you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've proven that several times. Sorry, Eddie. <laughs> How did you get in uh, contact with the, the former, I think it might even be still the world's strongest man? Uh, no, former. So Eddie Hall is 2017 world's strongest man. How I got in contact with him, uh, yeah. So... I'll tell you the story. I was at dinner with a really good friend of mine that's an athlete manager. His name's Rambir Samra. He's like one of my favorite people ever. We've been friends for years. And we were just talking about business, basically just having a chat about what's going on in social media. He's talking about his athletes. I'm talking about like what I'm doing. And I'm like pretty early on in my like, in establishing myself as an independent creator doing this full time. And I was like, I need to collab with people because I feel like I'm not being seen. And he said to me, I said, I've seen that Eddie Hall is doing this show in America called Eddie Eats America. And maybe he's trying to get into competitive eating. And then Rambia said, I bet, he, I bet I can get his number for you. I was like, there's no way. How are you going to do that? He said, I'm pretty sure that I know a videographer that worked with him once. Wait a second. And he got his he got Eddie's number like then and there at the table. And I was like, but I can't I can't just call him. Like I'm I'm a nobody. Like it's weird. And he goes, No, everybody does it, just WhatsApp him. It's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna WhatsApp Eddie Hall, like the cheek of it. And he pretty much convinced me to draft up a professional email like message for WhatsApp 
with the links to my social media profiles, an idea of what we could do together, um, just a real proposal. And I sent him in that moment and I like, I freaked out about it. I was like, but what if he doesn't message me back? Like he said, it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, like you're reaching out to somebody to do some work. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And I feel like it was a bit of like an obstruction of like, maybe like an overstepping of professionalism, but now knowing what I know now, it's so normal. Like it happens to me. So I, I get it now, but back then it felt very alien. And definitely not something that I felt like I could do with somebody as such a high profile as Eddie. Um, and then he messaged me back straight away and he said, hey, I'm gonna give you a call tomorrow. And I said, okay. And the next day he called me exactly when he said he was going to. We had a really good chat. We got on really well. He said, you sound great. Let's book in a shoot. And I was like, amazing. And that's pretty much the conception of like our working relationship, which is, it's been the, one of the most probably incredible connections I've made in my career so far. It's amazing. Yeah. And also like doing my bit of research and you just said it actually earlier, um, bodybuilding. Yes. You, so am I right in saying that your mother was a chef? Yes. Your background is loads of variant from Irish to Latino is that is is am I right that's it my mum's yeah. from Guatemala yeah okay that's it yeah there was a whole list of different like yeah you know blood related kind of backgrounds yeah and then <clears throat> there was this discovery your brothers or your brother was doing a food eating competition yeah you were very very good you know I think you called him out on it you ended up doing it yeah but in actual fact you were slightly overweight when you were younger and yeah. then you found bodybuilding yeah. and the discipline and structure yeah. gave you that mindset and yeah. then obviously going into this competition calling it your brother that's how you end up going into the food space yeah so there's two bits of kind of rapport there with yeah. eddie hall yeah food obviously being the world's strongest man you've got to eat a load of food and a load yeah. of calories so obviously you have something to talk about and two the bodybuilding yeah so there must have been a lot of synergy between you two i think that we have great we have great chemistry. I think we have great on-camera chemistry. I don't know whether this is, it's not something that I see, but I know that we just get on as people. We, we're both very focused, we're very business-minded. He's incredibly creative and that's very inspiring to me. Um, but yeah, in terms of like things in common, I think that our common interest in this moment in time is just making content, getting out there, doing fun stuff, getting involved and making money, essentially. Mm. Uh, so we do have that commonality and, and we both jointly focus on our own thing and dip in and out of other things so I think that in that respect we just have a mutual understanding and there's just nothing more to it like I don't think that we've ever truly delved into like our backgrounds but it obviously helps that part of my life is fitness and then his life is all strongman and our worlds collide through food and fitness and it just makes sense and I think that the the chemistry is what gets people asking for more. And so from that first video, people are like, I love to see you and Eddie together. And so Eddie gets that too. And we both like, okay, so people want to see this. So let's give the people what they want. Yeah. Do you, I, I'm, you know, like, I, um, like, I'm gonna ask you about bodybuilding because similarly to myself, I feel like my confidence actually came, partly confidence came from boxing. Like before 13, 14 years of age, I wasn't boxing and I found the boxing gym and I was quite timid, slightly, and I was a little bit kind you? of- un, <laughs> A little bit unsure about myself. Yeah. And when I found boxing, I realized that whether you're male or female, young, old, yeah. black, white, doesn't matter your religious belief, doesn't matter about anything. The moment you go into a boxing ring, yeah. you're equal. Yeah because you're just two people throwing punches at each other and yeah. you've got to learn to weather some of the punches and you've got to hit, not get hit, etc. And there's an art to it. Yeah. And that kind of then later on develops your characteristics and you take it into business, yeah. into sales, etc. Yeah. So bodybuilding, discipline and structure, how much of an important role has it had in your life today? I'm gonna give you a little bit of background of how I got into it because I feel like it's a story that I have told, but I still feel people look at me now and go, oh, you're so lucky 
you're so lucky that you never put on weight. Oh, let, let me tell you. So I was born 11 pounds. I was a big baby and I was a big kid and I was a big eater and I could always eat a lot of food. That's why I was overweight as a kid. I could eat a lot of food, never felt full. So that inherently is how I started. My dad's a big eater. My mum was a chef. Food was always a big thing in my family. My mum's family from Guatemala. They're very food orientated. And my dad loves food. So like we always loved food in our household. None of us drink, none of us smoke, none of us do anything other than have this mutual love and understanding for food. It's where we connected. It's where we had the best conversations. So food to me was always like an important aspect. And it still is. It really is now. Um, So I grew up in this environment where food was encouraged and it was like a healthy way, like a healthy relationship. You have great conversations over food, you bond with people over food, you, it's just, it's a commonality that we all have, we can all kind of respect it. I was an overweight kid and I was entirely unfanciable at school. I tried to apply myself, but I wasn't particularly academic. I just applied myself. So I got by and I did well because I put in the effort. And that's been my life. It's been whatever I've done, I've just put in the effort, but it's not like I have this natural ability to do anything really. I just kind of go for it and I try really hard, everything that I've done. So throughout school, I didn't have distraction from boys. I didn't have distraction from girls. I was like very shy. I didn't involve myself in drama. So I just focused on my studies, did really well. I was a good kid and I got into sports. Mm. I found that sports set me aside from everybody else. I didn't fit into circles. I felt like sports allowed me an opportunity to be good at something respectively, not be good at something because it's a talent, but be good at something, be respected for being good at something and be able to, you can always quantify how good you are at something like a sport. Like you, you know, you perform well, Mm. people can see it, you can feel it. So sports became my thing. I got into playing rugby. Now rugby, you need to be like a big, big individual. Like I was one of the bigger girl on, oh, I was a loose head prop. Um, and I was an absolute savage. And I felt like the most alive that I had ever felt because I was almost channeling all of my desire, all my all of my ambition into this sport. Mm. And I just felt like I was so good at it. Like I felt like I was constantly being appraised for doing it. I was never praised. At, I was praised at school for like, you're a tryhard. I was a tryhard. I was enthusiastic. I've been enthusiastic about everything since day one. So it's a compliment that really just went over my head. But when I started to really see myself performing while playing rugby, it became my thing and I loved it. And then I broke my ankle during a game and that was me out of the game completely. I tried to go back. I couldn't. I was playing for two, only two seasons, but I felt like it was my thing. And so when I was kind of out of the game and the nurse was like strapping up my leg, I I broke my fib right near my ankle. So it was like a really dodgy break as well. Um, Took me a while to heal. I was out of the game. I had to drop out of college. Lots of things happened in that time that reset everything. So I was studying, I was actually studying law, psychology, sociology and ethics at college. I ended up dropping out. When I went back, I studied business. And at the same time, I'm healing from this break and I'm going to the gym because I learned that if you, I lost a lot of muscle on that leg. So I learned about building muscle and you have to lift weights. But at that time, no one had any, there's no social media. There's no, there's no Instagram. I had no idea how to build muscle. I just knew that you go to the gym and do what the men do. Like there were no men lifting weights, no women lifting weights at that time. So I went in and I just kind of did bits and I did everything wrong from the off, did too much cardio, did too many reps, did too light a weight, didn't push my strength. But what I did do was I really focused on my agility, mobility, gymnastics type stuff. And I got my body back to being super like mobile, very high, well, I'm hyper flexible anyway, hyper mobile. Um, But I worked on that and that was my foundation. And then from then I was, 18 years old when I really started going to the gym and then when I actually learned how to do things properly I was like 21 and then by 23 I did my first bikini show because there was a a big pressure 
I felt a peer pressure from the men at the gym to do a bikini show because I was like the only girl at the gym lifting weights. And they were like, you should do a show. And it was really popular back then to do like, to do like bodybuilding competitions. And I've always been very competitive. So I thought maybe this is my new thing. Maybe this is like my new rugby. Um, It wasn't. I hated every minute of it because I didn't like being on camera. I didn't like the idea of having my photo taken. I didn't like being on a stage at all. Like I didn't like being judged for my outward appearance. So this is how I got into bodybuilding. It was really like a slow burn, a really slow burn, making tons of mistakes. I lost too much weight. I lost all of my muscle mass from playing rugby. Um, I went traveling um, during my gap year before I started university and I lost loads of weight. And that was that thing in my mind that flipped and went, oh, okay, so to lose weight, I have to move more and eat less. And before that, there was nothing to tell me otherwise because all the articles in the papers and the magazines back then were like, to lose weight, you need to do this celebrity diet or you need to do this fad or you need to follow this trend or you need to, and that's all wrong. Like fads are wrong. So I learned about nutrition and I learned what works for me. And then I learned about bodybuilding. And then I met my boyfriend at the time who was a bodybuilder and he was like, you're like, you're really skinny, (laughs) but you can put on muscle and not fat. And I was like, okay, tell me more about this. And he sent me, he's like the, probably one of the best things that happened to me. He sent me resources and I like people like this. He didn't say, do this and do this and do this. He said, here's all the information that you need. Everything that you need is here. Just try it, try something. So he didn't just give me, he gave me the tools to be able to do it for myself. So I then learned and I started picking up books, articles, websites. Again, no Instagram at this time. This was 2020, uh, 2001, no, 2011, 2011, 2012, 2013. Back during the like early, early days of maybe YouTube, but there were no YouTube videos about fitness. So it was a lot of like trying things and seeing what sticks. Um, so yeah, I've been bodybuilding ever since. My goal shifted. My my initial goal was to put on weight. So I taught myself how to eat properly, which was hard because I'd gone from dieting, fad dieting for years to finally learning how to eat properly. And that was eating the oats first thing in the morning when I'm already not feeling it and having to push past that. It's hard, but all, everything that I've done has just shaped me into who I am. And it's, it's mad now because my mindset is I'm doing this for a reason. The reason I'm forcing myself to eat these calories is because I want to put on weight because I want muscle. I want to be strong. I want to have a good body. And the reason I wanted to have a good body was like a very superficial one. Um, but it ended up being like one of the best things I ever invested in myself. It's amazing. I love the uh, I love the discipline. I love the structure. I love that focus. Yeah. Um, I've, got, I've got it here on like, I don't know which website I was on, but it said it, someone, I don't know who wrote this about you or, or there was an interview that you had, but it said that bar the fasting, yeah. 12 hours before and yeah. then sometimes a few hours after or maybe a few days after depending on what the the, the challenge is yeah you don't really prepare i mean the the main thing that you have is a positive mind <laughs> yeah. now i you know being in sales there's all these cliche sayings such as i don't know failure to, to prepare but is preparing to fail etc so why don't you prepare before you go into a challenge okay So I think there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to competitive eating. There's a certain level of inherent ability and ability to eat an amount of food. Beyond that, you need a mindset and knowing knowing what to expect. So during my initial few food challenges, I went in with breakfast probably, having, having eaten breakfast, I went into a food challenge and I smashed a food challenge in a record time, having eaten breakfast, eaten the day before and thought, wow, that's amazing. Like, I can't believe I just did that. When it becomes your job, you become very calculated about it. 
I don't want to put on weight, so I need to be mindful of calories. So I think I have an inherent ability to eat X amount of food, which I already know, tried and tested for years of doing this. I already know that I can do it. But now I need to think more pragmatically about it. How can I go in where I'm feeling my best, I'm looking my best, I've got a good attitude, I'm hungry, like literally physically hungry as well, and I'm ready to eat the food with enthusiasm. Go in fasted, go in fasted, go in looking forward to eat some food, present yourself in the best way possible, give yourself the best opportunity with an empty stomach. And that's how I I just tackle it like that. And if I'm successful, which most of the time, thankfully I am, it proves that my system works. And when something works, don't change it. Like it works. I know you've mentioned it a few times, but what you do with the speed eating. Yes. Nurture or is it nature? Nature. It's na- everything that I have ever- So I couldn't do it, basically. Oh, no. Okay. So it could, it could I train myself to at least get to a level where, you know, I'm a bit more competitive, almost. Okay. I think that most things you can train. Like, you can train a voice, you can train to dance, you can train to do lots of things. I feel like the reason I am where I am is because of a, a natural ability. I have an ability, I've got the right attitude, the right mindset. And I think that if I wasn't me, what I'm doing wouldn't have been done. In saying that, I've become a lot better at what I do over time. And so that's nurture. So nature, I have a natural ability to do certain things. I only discovered about myself through trying world records, food challenges. I would have never known unless that one time my brother said, Dave, do this food challenge and me going, all right, then I'll show you how it's done. (laughs) Billy Big Bollocks over here, like walking into this place, having no prior experience or idea. I just had just, I just have always had this eternal optimism about me where I just throw myself into things and I think, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I'm going to try. Um, and if it comes off, like I'm gassed, like I'm so excited about it. Um, but yeah, nature and nurture, I would say that you can probably train. I don't recommend doing it, but you can probably train to do what I do. Um, but if I was any other person doing any other thing, I would just stick to what I'm doing and not enter into this world because it's hard. Like it's not. It's not easy at all. Mm. Um, I, w- I want to ask you th- this question about your relationship with the media. Now, I've spoken to a lot of people on my podcast over the last four and a half years. Some of them are high level athletes. Some of them are entrepreneurs. Some of them are crazy individuals. Uh, some of them have got mm, way out their thoughts, and I love hearing about them all. Okay. Um, but usually, when you can be quite, not you, but like people can be controversial, they've got a high profile, etc. Then the media tend to like do a story and they will go down a narrative, yeah? Okay. So the one I've got here is this. The Mail Online, April 2022, you probably know what it is, but I'll read it out to you. This is totally insensitive and inappropriate. Speed Eater is blasted by this morning viewers for consuming 20 chicken nuggets in a minute and the cost of living crisis um i remember it well i mean i will tell you exactly where i was sitting when that story went viral i think it did go viral it was everywhere i was being tagged in this story and it ended up getting taken down uh the videos that were shared i don't really know what happened um i was obviously invited onto this morning i hold the world record for the most chicken nuggets eaten in one minute and the most chicken nuggets eaten in three minutes now there is always going to be a narrative and i was invited onto a show to do what i do to show what i do and on the large scale and not to bash anyone who has opinions because i'm welcoming of opinions but i run a business where i make money and i pay taxes and i also have I also experience what other people experience in what's happening in today cost of living housing prices etc etc and I go to work I make content which is to do with eating food um I film it I post it 
I, I work hard, I work many hours, I pay my taxes and that is, that's my viewpoint. So the narrative could be seen as this negative spin around eating food, but everyone loves chicken nuggets. Everyone loves McDonald's. And what is it? So I think I, I can only ever shrug. I don't really know. I, I don't react. I don't, I think that it's misguided. It's misguided, so I don't take offense. Um, but yeah, it, it was wild. Yeah, I, I believe uh, the media have a uh, habit of there's either the truth or there's a narrative. And I always find to get a good story by the sun, the mirror, the star, the Daily Mail, they won't really talk about the truth. It's more about a, a, a version of the truth, which is the narrative. Yeah, they're selling a story. And, and do you find they do that about yourself? They're, they're doing their job. They're doing their job. I don't, I, I, I respect the hustle. I respect, I respect it. I don't think that you need to try too hard to spin a narrative about a competitive eater. I think that people will just watch the video, mm. um, especially if it's a girl and not someone that you'd expect to be a competitive eater and all this stuff. And I guess that negative press is still press. And even though it doesn't necessarily affect me in a positive or negative way, I just let people make their judgments. Yeah. And yeah. Um, social media, you're 32 years young. I'm 37, a little bit older than you. Mm -hmm. I, you know, 15 years ago, when I was younger, or like 20 years ago, or when I was 15 years of age, did I ever believe there was going to be anything like social media, podcasts, or YouTube? No. And what a blessing it has been. Um, there's a footballer I know who was really good professional footballer, but just didn't quite make it. Like, unbelievable. If he yeah. was in here right now, you'd be like, how is he not making it? He's, he's incredible. Yeah. Didn't make it per se. Wasn't, I think they played in the premiership and then got let go, etc. But now he's put all his skills onto YouTube, got this massive following YouTube, and he's absolutely smashing it. And I do think like, fuck, how do we live? Well, like, there are talents and skills and things that people can do, but back in the day, they couldn't monetize it because it's very hard to get an audience, but now they've yeah. got the social media and they can monetize it. And just a bit of advice like to anyone listening to this, like if someone's a bit lost, they don't want to go down the conventional route and they're looking at you and thinking, well, I might not be naturally a good eater, but I love getting in front of the camera. Like what advice can you give them to say, there's probably a lot of opportunity out there yeah. by harnessing a skill or a yeah. talent yeah. and then putting it onto YouTube or social media. Yeah, I mean, there's examples of this. I don't think that I'm a particularly good example because I, my life has been like this series of events that have led me here. I certainly wouldn't have looked at social media and gone, I want to pursue that. That's what I want to do. I want to put myself on camera because I don't feel like it's my natural place to be. Um, but I would say that there's a lot of examples of people doing what it is that you could aspire to do. And you should look at that as inspiration and just try and take that into yourself. With competitive eating, there's obviously restaurant food challenges. There's no reason why you can't just film it on your phone, film a food challenge, see how you get on. And it's a really good litmus test. Like people are like, well, how do you get into it? So I didn't know, I didn't, I am a girl who was massively into fitness and had no other ambitions but to have a six pack. Like I did not think, yeah, competitive eating food challenges, that's what I'm gonna do. I thought that food was literally the devil. Like I, I did not ever, ever anticipate that this would be my life. So unless I was challenged to do that food challenge, that first one, I would never know that I was good at doing food challenges. So I guess the thing that you aspire to be like, you need to try it. I say try, I say be consistent, I say do your research, speak to people, make human real life connections. Don't just make online connections because- There's when, some weirdos out there. <laughs> there's, there's weird people out there, but then also there's something really valuable about being in someone's presence. And there's something really that you can really learn from somebody that you admire and 
who they are and how they are. So if there's somebody that you admire and they have something about them that you find particularly captivating, you can adopt that level of being. Like even if it's just a bit of enthusiasm or optimism or you like the way that they're just so open-minded about opportunities, there's no reason why you can't see that and adopt that and almost like mirror it to be, become it. Mm. And that's my biggest advice. It's like, get out there, meet people, make content, be consistent, enjoy what you're doing because life life is short. Life is short. Um, I've only got to know you just obviously from this podcast and obviously watching you on social media. And listen, there's you come across very strong-willed, you know, strong individuals, strong characteristics, you're determined, Thank you're you. willing to break the mold, you're ambitious, etc. But you're human. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do you ever feel depressed? Do you ever feel anxiety? Do you ever feel like you're defeated? Or are you just this 100% strong woman? Oh, no. This is going to make me really unpopular. Um, I'll just be honest. I have pretty much always had a very good outlook and I have been very fortunate and privileged and very protected in my life. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until the last sort of year or so. I learned a lot about myself in the last year. I have the normal, less motivated days. I have days where I question myself. Do I get depressed? No. Um, but I do, I tick boxes. I get up early, I make my bed, I I eat a good diet outside of food challenges and obviously fasting. I have a good diet, I nurture my body, I do the things that I love to do. I'm around people that I love all the time. I don't have like toxic friendships, or I'm not in a toxic relationship. I'm, I'm actually single at the minute. So like I'm filling my own cup as it were. And I think in that space, you're in control of it all. So like, I feel like I'm really fortunate to be able to say it, but whatever day that I'm having that doesn't feel like the most productive, most amazing day, I'm probably still absolutely fine. And I, I, I like comfort. I go and do the things that I love to do. And if all else fails, I just take a pre-workout and go to the gym. And I always just find myself again in that space. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that in a way, like I am pretty different. In, in that respect, I'm very grateful for the life that I've been afforded and I realise that and I see it and I don't discredit my own work towards what I have now, but I'm very, very privileged. It's fantastic. Um, so to conclude this then, um, you've got hundreds of thousands of people subscribed on YouTube <laughs> and loads across social media. You've worked with Eddie Hall, you've broke 27 Guinness World Records. You catch yourself in Great Nick, you train, there's a lot of opportunities coming to you. Yeah. So the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, who do you want to work with? What do you want to do? What are you going to achieve? What's your next goal? Okay. Good question. I don't think that I have a plan beyond five years. <laughs> but in the next five years, I would like to, I mean, I would love a TV show. That is like, that would be, the thing that I, I would like to do. People to work with, I'm really not sure. Like I don't have any sort of aspirations, but I'm kind of welcoming of people wanting to kind of have a go at doing some food challenge content. Um, so definitely open and mm. open to opportunities. Um, I would like to set up well, I'm in the process of setting up to make my own merch. So I'm moving into sort of the production of the Shuts products, which is going to be new and different and exciting. And because I've got a background in design, I'm doing a lot of my own design work. So it's nice to actually tie my worlds together where I can be the creative and also the face of this brand. Um, I don't like being the face of the brand. I prefer to just be the creative behind everything, but we roll, we move. <laughs> Um, and then beyond that, the biggest, my biggest goal, and I think something that I've said a few times already is I would like to start a food bank. And the reason I want to do that is because I want to do my bit to give back. I think it's important and I've never been in a position to do it. Um, and this year has kind of opened my eyes to the idea that 
I'm probably, I, I, I probably am going to be in a position to do that sooner than I thought. And so in the next five years, potentially, I will be starting my own food bank here in the UK. So that's very exciting. Um, but it's, it's a bit of a pipeline dream at the moment. But I think that's the, the big, the big goal, the big dream, some kind of a charity, food bank charity. Excellent stuff. I really enjoyed this podcast and I really oh, enjoyed the do. interview. I'm going to ask you this last question. Okay, go for it. So when I come up, when I start my first business, when yeah. I was roughly about 24, 25 years of age, it was in sales. And most of the people in that sales floor, not all, were men, alpha males. And the problem with that sometimes is they would get distracted, they would argue, they would fight, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, I come up with a, I was always personal development, you know, routine, routine of a champion, train, etc. Then I come up with this mantra, and this, this is how the mantra goes. Okay. Be happy, yeah. never content. Now, if I were to ask yourself, Leah, what does be happy, never content mean to you? Hunger, just hunger. I just, I see it in the same way as just my life. Like I am happy, I am fulfilled, I understand where I am in my life. I understand how fortunate I am, um, but I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna stop working. I'm not gonna stop like moving forward and making content and doing the things that I feel pushed, I feel urged to do um, because I, I, I'm still like striving for that euphoria feeling from that first world record that I had. So that's powerful. That's Cool. Thank you very much for your time. Thank if you, you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and do all that good stuff and uh, be happy, never content. Thank you once again. Thank you. Cool. Thank you.